We got this new uh, lectern. I need a stronger roadie. <laughs> so it used to be I could pick up, and I could bring a music stand up by myself. Not this. It's good to be with you all. Uh, this morning, my title is a question. And the question is, why did Jesus say that? Yeah. Now, that's a different question than what did Jesus mean, okay? What did Jesus mean is a good question, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm looking at why did Jesus say something in the first place? And I want to look at one very well-known record, and why did Jesus tell the parable of the Good Samaritan? Now, this parable is so widely known, you don't have to be a Christian to understand what that means. That is just, it's flowed into our culture. Everybody understands what the Good Samaritan is. And I want you to understand why Jesus told that particular parable at that particular time to that particular group. See, Jesus told parables, he taught in parables, I guess it would be better to say, and he did it for a number of different reasons. Most often was simply to illustrate some truth about the kingdom of God or about his mission as the Messiah. But at times, Jesus would use parables for different reasons. He would use parables to confront, to reprove, or simply to get people to think outside of the box of their religion. And if you want to get the full impact of what Jesus was getting at in any given parable, in any given statement or teaching, then you need to know not simply the points of this parable, but why he brought it up in the first place. Now, when I bring up the parable of the Good Samaritan, many people think, well, oh, Bob, that you started easy for us. We all know why he taught the parable of the Good Samaritan. Be kind to strangers and, you know, love people, okay? Yes, those are points that Jesus made in that parable, but they are not why he taught that parable. And we're going to find this out in Luke chapter 10. That's where this parable appears. Luke 10, verse 25. And it starts off with, and behold. Now, that is not the usual way Luke carries on his narrative in the Gospels. Usually it's just and. That's how they carried forth narratives. But here he's, and behold. That means, listen up. This is important. So this is what God is having Luke tell us in a preface to this. So, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus' opponents often came looking as though they were seeking wisdom and truth. But in reality, they always had other agendas. What's happening here is God is showing us what this lawyer didn't say out loud. God is showing us what the motive was behind the teacher standing up and asking this particular question. Now, the lawyer's question, it's a, you might look, oh, that's a valid question. I'd like to know how to inherit eternal life. That's a valid question. But the lawyer asked him this question not to learn from Jesus, but to try and trap him. So how's Jesus going to respond to this setup? Now, the lawyer at this point doesn't know that Jesus knows it was all a setup. So here's what Jesus says in verse 26. What is written in the law? How do you read it? He reflected it back to him. 
And he, the lawyer, he was eager to answer this. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, like most lawyers, this lawyer never asked a question that he didn't already know the answer to. And obviously, he already had an answer right at his fingertips because when Jesus reflected it back, he immediately gave the correct scriptural answer. He had been hoping that Jesus would say something different so that he could trap him, so that he could expose him as a fraud. Nice try. This lawyer is about to discover that he is the one who is going to be trapped. Jesus is going to show this lawyer, and by extension, he's going to show us that this person really knows nothing about the heart of God's law. And we see this in the very next verse. Verse 29, the lawyer responds again, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This lawyer, of course, again, he did not announce that he was trying to justify himself. God is showing us the motive behind this lawyer's questions and statements. And Jesus knew his motives because God showed it to him by revelation. When you read through the Gospels, the Father showed his Son everything and anything he would need to know to carry out his mission. So what this man, this lawyer shows up, you know, he has his secret agenda, but it's not secret to God. And if it's not secret to God, it's not secret to God's son either. Now, there are several examples of God doing this in the scriptures, in the gospels. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 9. This is another one. It says, and behold, Some people brought to Jesus a paralyzed man, a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. They didn't say it out loud. They were just thinking this in their own hearts. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Bet that caught him by surprise, right? As you go about your father's business, you are going to find that God shows you anything you need to know in order to carry out your father's business. And the way the lawyer asked this question, and who is my neighbor? The way he asked it, it showed that he did not consider everybody his neighbor. And he was seeking to justify his choice of neighbors. He's seeking to justify who he's actually going to love like a neighbor. Self-justification, which we know was his motive, because God tells us, self-justification is the act of making excuses for yourself. The lawyer wants to place limits on how much loving your neighbor he actually has to do. But he doesn't want to feel bad and he doesn't want to look bad. So you know what he does? He seeks to justify himself. That's what he's doing here. Now, Jesus could have easily answered this question. And who then is my neighbor? He could have said, everyone. Next question. But that's not what he did. Instead, he told a parable to draw people in until he could give them the punchline, which was everyone. 
He didn't want to simply answer the question. He wants to confront the lawyer's motives. The question isn't the issue. The lawyer's motives, which we have all shared at various times in our life, to justify ourselves. The lawyer wants to justify what he has chosen to do about loving his neighbor. The lawyer is seeking to establish that what he already does is actually a fulfillment of this commandment anyway. We do this all the time. We try to show that, well, you know, I really don't need to change anything because I'm really doing God's will anyway. I've got it. I've, I've, I've chopped down and narrowed down God's will so much that, yeah, see, I'm there. I'm doing it. Self-justification is dangerous and damaging. And so, Jesus is going to answer this question with a parable. And once you know the whole point of the lawyer's question, once you understand that his point was self-justification, you're going to see why Jesus said that. Why did Jesus say this particular parable? So verse 30 is where the parable actually begins. And he said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was about at 2,500, 3,000 feet above sea level. Jericho going into the Jordan Valley was getting close to zero Uh, feet above sea level. So it always was going down from Jerusalem, which is important to know. They were heading away from where they had worshipped. And this man fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Leaving him half dead, figuring the other half would be accomplished by just being left to bake in the sun. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, you know what a priest would be. He was of the house of Aaron, and he served at the temple. He did the sacrifices, whereas the Levites carried on the general, what you might call temple maintenance. The tribe of Levi was responsible for maintaining the temple. The family of Aaron was responsible for being the priest. So Jesus doesn't answer the lawyer's question. He begins by addressing his motives. Now the road from Jerusalem to Jericho went through a desert. We would call it a desert wilderness. And it was dangerous. The listeners to his parable would have all understood this. They'd probably all walked on this road. They knew it was a place where robbers would hide for people who were traveling by themselves. And the man in the story is half dead. Perhaps he looked all dead. Touching him, if either the priest or the Levite touched this man, potentially a corpse, then they would have been unclean. They would have had to take a seven-day cleansing period out of their lives. Very inconvenient. Best not to get involved. People say the same thing today, don't they? Maybe not as in an extreme a situation, but people say this all the time. We self-justify. We self-justify what, what in, as a matter of course, is hard-heartedness. That's what these guys are doing. Now, the first century Jews, by the way, they would not have been appalled, as appalled at what the priest and the Levite did as you and I are. 
Because they understood, oh, wow, you're a priest. He would be unclean for seven days. That wouldn't be good. They would, it still wouldn't have seemed like the best thing that the priest or Levite did, but they wouldn't have been as appalled by it as you and I are, you know, 21 centuries later. Similar things to this happen all the time. I can remember, I think it was back in the 1960s, because I was living in New York City at the time, there was a, a famous story, still uses a case study in psychology today, where a woman was being chased and stabbed and screaming, and dozens and dozens of people heard it, not one did a thing. Why do otherwise good people do things like that? A priest and a Levite. They were not evil people. It doesn't say a sinner and a tax collector walked by this guy. It said a Levite and a priest, respected within their culture. What the lawyer wanted to do was to justify limiting the love for his neighbors. That's what he was seeking to do. And Christians, we do the same today. We know that God desires us to pray, but you know, I really just don't have much time, and God knows my heart. Also, like this, like this lawyer, many of us try to limit who the love thy neighbor commandment actually applies to. And self-justification, as I said, is literally passing a favorable judgment on your own actions and attitudes. And sometimes you will be the only one who will pass a favorable judgment on your own actions and attitudes. We want to look good to others and we want to feel good about ourselves. To do this, we often need to do a song and dance around scriptures that say something different than what we're actually doing in our life. We don't, here's the thing, we don't want this loving your neighbor stuff to get out of hand, okay? That's really what it comes down to. That's what the lawyer didn't want to do. He still wanted to look good to God, but he didn't want this to get out of hand. Look what it says in Proverbs 21. It says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Lord, uh, the Lord understands the motive. Now, like all parables, this one is going to have a dramatic change in expectations. Two people had reasonable, reasonably good reasons to justify their lack of compassion. Enter the Samaritan. Now, the Jews basically despised the Samaritans. They would have nothing to do with them. Making the Samaritan the obvious hero of the story was both unexpected and unwelcome. Let's read about this Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, this Samaritan came upon the exact same circumstances as the priest and the Levite. But rather than their self-justified hardness, he didn't stop to consider if this man was a close enough neighbor to warrant his getting involved. He just jumped in. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He did first aid right out there in the wilderness. He, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now he's a nurse. And the next day he took out two denarii, which would be the equivalent of two days' wages today. And he gave it to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. What this Samaritan did, 
in our terminology, he gave the innkeeper a blank check to take care of this guy. That's going to cost the Samaritan something. The Samaritan was willing to bear the cost of loving his neighbor, something that the priest or the Levite were unwilling to do. Look at verse 36. Now Jesus has finished the parable. Parable's over. Now he's going to ask a question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? I mean, you know, there's no way to weasel out of that question. Out of this parable, it's like, ah, yeah, okay. But he can't bring himself to say the Samaritan. He just can't, he can't, the, 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 the one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The priest and the Levite and the lawyer should go and do as the Samaritan did. We should all go and do as the Samaritan did. People who justify themselves are looking for ways to keep from being inconvenienced by the gospel. That is what the lawyer was justifying. We don't want to share the pain or bear the cost of loving others unless we consider them really close to us and unless it's not really going to disrupt my life too much. Of course, we don't want to feel bad about this. We don't want to feel bad about being hard-hearted, so what do we do? We self-justify. Like the lawyer, this is what we still do to this day, which is why this parable is still applicable. We try to manage just what it means to be a disciple until we get it down to what we're comfortable with, which means what we've already been doing anyway. How much can I hedge the gospel and still be okay? But, you know, the truth is, I made Jesus my Lord, and I'm committed to being like him. The Samaritan gave the innkeeper a blank check. Not very convenient for a stranger, right? But the point of loving your neighbor is no one's a stranger. No one's a stranger any longer. That was true during the Gospels. It's even more true today during the church age. Look at Galatians 6.10. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's kind of like pretty broad. (laughs) Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know what the lawyer wanted to do? He wanted to limit who he was going to be good to, or who he was going to love, to like an immediate household of faith. Those who think like me. Those who believe like me. Those who look like me. Those are the ones I'm going to love. Jesus said even sinners do that. Come on. We are God's people. And as God's people we love, we even love our enemies. The lawyer didn't see things that way. That's not how he looked at this. So he justified himself in his rejection of God's heart and intent. Self-justification is very dangerous. And let me tell you, God is not a big fan. This is why Jesus confronted it with the parable of the Good Samaritan. He was confronting hard-hearted self-justification. And self-justification, by the way, keeps us from having fellowship with God. See, because of the cross, because of Jesus Christ, God can deal with our sin. Your sin is not an obstacle to God, okay? But our self-justification means we are not willing to deal with our sin. 
And God will not move against your free will. Look what it says in Proverbs 28, 13. It says, the one who covers his transgressions will not prosper. This lawyer was covering the fact that he really didn't want to love his neighbor. No, I don't really want to do that, but I want to look like I'm doing it. You won't prosper when you do that. But whoever confesses them and forsakes them will find mercy. Self-justification was how the lawyer was covering his lack of compassion and his limiting of God's word for his life. Self-justification keeps us from maturing in Christ. Self-justification keeps us from loving. And loving is the greatest commandment. The lawyer did not want to pay the cost of loving his neighbor. The gospel will be inconvenient at times but it will also be rewarding and enriching in ways that you cannot even imagine if you will allow God to do that for you. So, back to my title. Why did Jesus say that? Why did Jesus tell the parable of the Good Samaritan? He told this parable to confront the dangerous attitude of self-justification, an attitude that raises a wall between you and the life that God has planned for you, the life of blessings, the life of joy. And you know something? We don't need to self-justify because we have been justified in Christ. We're now free to live a life of loving our neighbors and enjoying that, the fruits and the blessings of it. So I'd like to pray. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for loving us Thank you, God, for making the greatest commandments, commandments to love. And I ask you, God, to teach us what that means within the context of our own lives, to help us to be the men and women, your people, your children, who love all comers. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.